How many of you have ever had a clunker where every day when you walked out your house and got into it, that was faith. As you turned the key, you were like, God, I believe. Help my unbelief. And you went off into your car and you just prayed to God that you'd make it wherever you were, you were going. We operate in faith in everyday life, every day, don't we? If you ride the bus, you put your faith in a, in a dude or a lady that you don't know. Driving the bus, you hop in a plane, you put your faith and trust in somebody you don't know, you, you've, you've never met. We operate in faith and we operate in trust on a daily basis. But when it comes to putting faith and trust in God, we are filled with unbelief. Hebrews tells us, in fact, let's, let's flip over there. Hebrews chapter 11 says this. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. This is verse 1, sorry. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see or the confidence of things we cannot see. Through faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. Verse 6 says, And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. You know, we live in a techno world where we love the visual, don't we? You know, they have uh, video games now where you put this thing on your head and you play the games and you see people going like this and... And they got this thing on their head. They're obviously seeing something that we are not. And they're engaged in this uh, video game, this uh, virtual reality, so to speak. But we're geared to see stuff. Isn't it true? Um, I'm not much of a reader of, like, novels. I like to watch the movie. Lord of the Rings was awesome. Wasn't it fantastic? You put yourself right in there and you visualize it and stuff and... But you know what? In the olden days, there was something about mom and dad reading to your children and children's minds just engaged in the imagination. And I had Zachy go figure, tell me, yeah, I like reading because I can picture it in my head. And I was like, that's good. That's good. That's really good. We're geared to that. We're geared to seeing stuff. Faith operates in this sense of hearing and not seeing. Perceptions with our eyes, perceptions and perspectives with our eyes in the natural plays no, no uh, warrant or no significance when it comes to our spiritual endeavor in moving in faith. Faith happens in the realm of the kingdom of God. We see and we hear through our heart. Paul told the uh, Ephesian church, I pray that the eyes of your hearts will be open and that you will understand the breadth, height, width, and length of the love of God. Comprehend the greatness of the God, the power of God. We understand this by, by hearing from God. 
just the other night, in fact, I think it was uh, Friday night, Steph was reading, uh, she has an aunt from Canada that has written like 35 books, and she grabbed one of those books, she was reading it to uh, Amaris and Zaki, and they were just listening. I was shocked, because the imagination runs wild. See, what we need in the church of Christ is when we hear the word of God, our imagination should run wild in anticipation and expectation of the glory and the greatness and the goodness of our God. When we hear the word of God, the disciples said to Jesus, increase our faith. What did Jesus say? Fellas, all you need is a mustard seed of faith. You can say to this mountain, be removed, and it's gone. Jesus came to someone to heal them. He, he came to Jesus and said, the dude said, I believe, but help my unbelief. Amen? See, the Bible says in the, in the, in the end times, in First Timothy chapter 4, it says, now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith, or some will depart from the faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars, and their consciences are dead. We have to ask ourselves, because it says in the Bible, examine yourselves. Evaluate yourselves to see if you're in the faith. We have to ask ourselves this question. Is our faith a departing faith? Is our, is, or is our faith a victorious faith, an increasing faith? How's your faith today? Is it departing? Maybe circumstances and situations come your way and you find it hard to put your faith and trust in God. Is it, is it fading away your trust and faith in God? Our prayer, just like the disciples, should be increase our faith. So we understand things through the hearing of God's word and through the hearing of this message today as the word of God is brought across how will you respond to this message of faith? Will you respond with an anticipation and an expectation that God is going to move in your heart and in your life as we ponder five things from Zacharias Benedictus or his, his prayer of praise? You see, Zechariah was a priest. The angel came to him and told him, listen, old man, your wife's going to have a baby. And he was like, what? That's what he did. What? And he said, no way. How's this going to happen? And the angel said, you know what? You just ticked me off. And you ticked God off. And now you're going to be mute. Okay? Didn't really say it that way, but that's what happened. But you know what? Isn't there an awesomeness in silence? You know, when I, uh, when I tell Zachy what to do, before three words are out of my mouth, he's talking. You ever get that with kids? Now, I told you, yeah, but that, I was with the Maris, and she said this, whatever, and I was just like, what? And then after a while, I forget what I'm talking about, and then we kind of leave, like, okay, see you later. I scratch my head, and I wonder, what in the world was that? So I told him, I said, but when I'm talking, you don't talk. If you see my lips moving, that means that I'm talking, and you're to listen. It's been working out pretty good. But you see, when, when our lips are moving, we can't listen to God. God wants to speak to us. 
God wants to talk to us. We have to have ears that hear. That's a weird saying in Jesus' day, right? If any of you have ears, let them hear. In other words, don't just let the words go into your head, but allow them to get into your heart. Allow them to change you. You see? So we need to allow the, the word of God to speak to our hearts. And silence is an awesome thing. See, the world is into isolation. Everybody's like isolating themselves. They get on Facebook and then they, they have 5,000 friends that they can communicate, but they're isolated, you know? Have you ever felt like, you know what? I just want to get away from it all, get by myself. I want to be by myself. I want to isolate myself. There's a difference between isolation and solitude. Isolation says I got to get away from everybody because they're, they're bugging me. And I just want to have spent time with myself. Most of that time when we're in that attitude of we want to get away from each other is I want to get to a place where I can sulk and whine by myself. And I can just go hog wild. And negativity. And frustration. And anger. And wrath. God doesn't want you to do that. Solitude is you're not getting away by yourself to vent your feelings and your perspective and your perception. Solitude is when you get away by yourself to hear from God. You put aside what you think. You put aside your perceptions on your circumstances and your situations. You put aside what you think about your finances. You put aside what you think about your broken relationships and the pain of your life and the sorrow of your past and everything else. And you just sit there and say, now, God, whoo, I'm ready to hear what you think about it. And I'm ready to get up from this place after I spend my time listening to you, walking in what you say, walking in your thoughts, walking in your perception and perspective about my life. That's called faith. Faith takes a heart that is ready to do battle because the enemy wants to bring discouragement into your heart. Discouragement into your life. Discouragement brings unbelief. And when you're in unbelief, the devil is working you over and having a heyday. And everything you see is negative. And everything that you feel is negative. You got to get to a place where you, like David, you encourage yourself in the Lord. You do it. You get to get alone with God. Hopefully it doesn't make you mute. So you don't have to yap. But you get alone with God. And you just listen and you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. His say-so. And when he speaks his say-so into your heart, your feel-so departs. And your life is based on the word of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, and you're walking in victory today. How many need a new boost in faith in God today? Amen? Faith in God can move a mountain. Faith in God can stoke. Calm a stormy sea. That's a song in which I forgot the rest of the words, but that's a good one. Faith in God. When we're discouraged, for me, when I try to muster myself and I try to work it out and I try to, I'm a man, I can't cry. I'm a man, I got to feel, I got to feel, yeah, like I can conquer the world. And inside I'm like, <laughs> ah! All I say is, God, 
I need your mercy, and I need your grace, and I need your peace. And I wait. I need your mercy. I need your grace. And I need your peace. You, you'll notice nothing changes. In fact, things could get even worse. But you got mercy, you got grace, and you got peace, and you're feeling like a thousand bucks because you know God is with you. Discouragement is the work of the enemy, and we have to see it as such. A believer in Christ should not entertain discouragement for a period of time. We need to encourage ourselves in the Lord. When we encourage ourselves in the Lord, we have this courage to face the day, to face the circumstance, to face the problem, and to face whatever God has in store for us. It's called faith in God. Jesus was walking by a fig tree with leaves, and he was like, the disciples were like, hey, fig tree with leaves. Let's go get some figs. They run over, and there's nothing on the tree. Jesus cursed it. When it came back, the tree was totally dead, cursed, gone. And Jesus said this, if it's not going to do what it's supposed to do and bring forth fruit, then it's, it's cursed. We need to get rid of it. In order not to be like that, have faith in God. Isn't that something? And here's the thing. In that, in that passage in the Greek, it literally means have the faith of God. Isn't that something? You as believers today, you can walk in this attitude that God has when it comes to his kingdom and his perspective and his perception, you can literally walk in the faith that God has about your life, your potentiality, your possibility. You walk in that, and you're like, wow. Faith in God can move a mountain. I don't need a mountain moved. I need him to overcome the selfish intentions of my heart. And I get that by being silent before God and allowing God to speak to me his awesomeness, his greatness, his perspective, and his perception in the world. Let's uh, flip over to Romans chapter 4, okay? Everybody okay? Nudge the person next to you and just say, have faith, will you? Have faith, will you? <laughs> okay. Did anybody hit back after? Uh, no? Okay. So we have the love of Christ here. That is awesome. Hey, Romans chapter 4. And you know what? I'm going to read it in the ESV, okay? English Standard Version, if that's okay. The ESV. Uh, Romans chapter 4. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Everybody say, believed God. Ready? Believed God. Next verse. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. 
And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. See, here's the thing. Somebody came to Jesus and said, hey, what must I do to do the works of God? And Jesus said, believe on him whom God has sent. That's it. Maybe the dude was looking for things, you know, ministries and, and giving amounts and, uh, and stuff that he can do and stuff that he can uh, be seen uh, from people. See, what we do is we do things so that God can see, so that when he looks down at us, we feel his pleasure. Here's the thing. God is pleased with you when you just take him at his word and start walking. Amen? You just start walking. Believe on him. Trust him, his character, and his nature. Let's go to verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs. Faith is null, and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but there is no law. There is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. This is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace. Isn't that awesome? The grace of the Lord through faith. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, verse 17, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the, of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body. I love this, which was as good as dead. <laughs> ah, let me read that again. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. What's our problem? Why don't we trust God? No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Here it is, fully convinced that God was able to do what he has promised. Are you there where you fully believe and you're fully convinced that God is able to do what he has promised? Okay, let's go back to Luke Chapter 1, Zechariah was mute for a period of time, and in that period of time, he uh, was bubbling, was bubbling out, and then when uh, Elizabeth said, yeah, his name's going to be John, everybody was like, John, we want like a name like Mephibosheth or Methuselah or, you know, Jehoiakim or something like this, John. 
Where did that come from? And when Zechariah spoke out in faith and said his name is John, his voice came back. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke blessing God. Look at verse 68 and 69. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. What Zechariah was saying is, even though God did something to me that I did not like, I'm still going to proclaim his goodness and his mercy and his grace. And Zechariah said in verses 68 and 69, I believe in God's redemption and salvation. Amen? Redemption is this idea that we were enslaved to our sinful past, enslaved to the whims and the desires of our sinful nature. We couldn't get away from it. We couldn't overcome it. There was nothing that we could do. We were not righteous, no, not one. The heart, our heart before Christ was deceitfully wicked. Who could know it? Who could understand it? The verbiage there in the language means our heart is deceptive, means our heart was incurable. We had an incurable heart disease. And that's why Ezekiel says, I'm going to give you a new heart. And I'm going to give you a new mind. You will be my people. And I will be your God. Amen? You can't do anything with an incurable heart disease. You need a new heart. This is what Zechariah was saying when he said, I believe in the redemption and the salvation of our God. See, when the Israelites were kicked out of uh, Egypt... Because of God's glory and wonder, Pharaoh let them go. Many of them did not come into the promised land because of unbelief. They were saved. They were brought out. But they weren't changed and they weren't transformed and they weren't set free from being captives to the old life, to the old ways. On their way to the promised land, they wanted the onions. They wanted the leeks. They wanted to get back to slavery so that they could enjoy it. Zechariah is saying, I believe in the redemption and the salvation of our God. Salvation is not just a ticket to heaven where we just wait until the train comes and we hop on board, suffer and plod through life. No. Redemption speaks about this awesome capacity of saving us from and empowering us to the glory and the wonder and the splendor and the majesty of who God is and what he wants to do in your life. Are you redeemed? Was there a day when you stood before people naked, mocking you and laughing at you on the slave block of sin, and all of a sudden Jesus Christ came and said, I'm going to pay that ransom. I'm going to pay that debt. Friends, we have to start living like we're, we're bought with a price. We're not our own. We are his. Amen. I believe in the redemption and the salvation of my God. He's redeemed us. He's restored us. We're back in right relationship with God once again. Amen. When he lifts his hand out to you, he's not going to smack you. He wants to have fellowship with you and have you come up on his lap and say, Abba, Father, tenderly, intimate relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ hopped up on that slave block, was sold. Sin and shame and condemnation put upon him that we might go free. Are you living in the freedom? 
that cost God his son? Are you living in the freedom that cost God his son? Zacharias said, I believe in the redemption and the salvation of God. We do too, don't we? You have been redeemed. Live like it. You're not captive to the flesh and the sin, the love of this world, the love of the, love of, uh, the flesh, the pride of life. What you see, we're set free to be everything that we ought to be because we are God's and God's alone. We've been bought with a price. We are not our own. We are his. Everybody go, ah, amen, amen. All right, next one. Zachariah, good dude, old dude, believing dude. Zachariah, I believe in God's redemption and salvation. Redemption speaks about your identity. Salvation speaks about your eternity, amen? You're redeemed. You are a child of God, back in the favor and the pleasure of God Almighty. That's your identity. You're redeemed. It was an old song that used to go like this. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed. Praise the Lord. Amen. Donna, they're clapping because I have a wonderful voice. (laughs) Donna gets on me all the time that I have a terrible voice. So I just had to rub that in on her publicly in front of everybody. Okay. We are redeemed. Let's sing that again. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Good singing, guys. Good singing. All right. Let's go to verse. The next two verses. Verses. 70 to 72. And it says this. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. That we should be saved from our enemies and from the land of all hand of all who hate us. To show the mercy promised to our fathers. And to remember his covenant. Zechariah is speaking to us. Secondly. That he believes in God's faithfulness to Israel. Amen. Now, when we look at Israel, we can't take every promise uh, to Israel and apply it to the United States of America. But what do you believe in for America? What is your anticipation and expectation about what God is going to do in America? What God is going to do in our community? Amen? What God is going to do in Western Western New York? Zechariah believed in the covenant that God would remember Israel and God would be the God of Israel forever. You know, when God looks down, he doesn't see Democrat or Republican. Amen? He sees people. And people need the Lord. We have to operate in this unbiased, unprejudiced, get our own perspective of our political ideas out of the way and let the glory of God minister through us to people. Amen? 
to people. What do you believe in for Lackawanna? What do you believe in for Western New York? What do you believe in for America? Righteousness exalts a nation. Amen? The wickedness of men destroy it. We need to pray for Donald Trump. We need to pray for our leaders. We need to pray for our mayor. We need to pray for our school district officials. We need to pray for them. That God would lead them in the will and the way of God for his glory and honor. I believe great things for Lackawanna, for Western New York, and for America. You see, the gospel has always, 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 always won the day through any culture and any political system. Amen? The church of Jesus Christ, the very gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. The gates of the House of Representatives and the Senate will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. The gate of the White House will not prevail against the righteousness and against the salvation of our God. We pray for great, great things. Thirdly, Zechariah said this. Let's go to verses 73 and 75. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him in all our days. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and in righteousness for as long as we live. Zechariah is saying that he believes in the promises of God. Amen? He believes in the promises of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 1.20 says this, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Amen? 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. What do you believe in from the word of God for your life, for your family? Amen? You know, sometimes we uh, personalize our faith. Isn't it true? That God is the God of creator and redeemer just for us. God is my God. He's my little God in a genie. He's my convenience store. He's supposed to give me everything I, I, I need when I need it. Otherwise, I won't talk to him. Otherwise, I won't speak to him because he let me down. You and I sit here and stand here by the grace of God that we are still breathing. Amen? That we are alive. That we're able to meet in the house of worship and feel the presence of God, hear the word of God, respond to the word of God by faith. What's the promise of God for your life? Jesus' great desire, purpose, and promise to his people was that his greatest joy was to do the will of God who sent him. Amen? And look at that will led him to a humiliating, unbelievable, torturous death. Will you go where God wants you to go? Will you say, just like Jesus, the will of God for me is that, that I do what God has said and what, where God sends me? It's our greatest desire. The promises of God are true, and they are right, and they are pure, and they are for us. Amen? 
So, uh, fourthly, verses 76 and 77 of Luke chapter 1 says this. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for, we, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Here it is, friend. What do you believe in for your sons and your daughters? Amen? What are you believing for your sons and your daughters? If all that Amaris and Zachy do is get a good job, have a nice house, have a nice car, and have a nice life, I've failed. But in their living, as they serve God and as they serve Jesus, and they tell Jesus, God, whatever you, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Whatever you want me to say, I'll say. Wherever you want me to be, I'm going to be. That thrills the heart of God and will thrill this papa because they're serving Jesus. And that's what matters most. Yeah, I want them to have a nice car and a nice house. I got to live somewhere when I get older. So that'll be an awesome, awesome thing. What do we believe in for our kids in this church, the next generation? This is a long message, but hang in there, okay, guys? Turn with me to Psalms chapter 78. Psalms chapter 78. Oh, my people, this is NLT. Listen to my instruction. Open your ears to what I am saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past stories we have heard and known stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and about his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instruction to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children. So the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. And they, in turn, will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commandments. Amen? From generation to generation, this wonderful, wonderful, great salvation and redemption will be given to our children as we live out the life of Christ in our hearts, as they see us as examples of not perfection, but of calling upon the name of the Lord in our mercy and in the grace of the Lord. Amen? What do you believe in for your kids, and what do you believe in for the kids in our church and in our community? Are you believing that they'll come to a saving, loving, wonderful knowledge of the grace of Jesus Christ? Amen? That is our prayer today, that they'll know Christ. Fifthly, Luke chapter 1, verse 78 and 79 says this. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is coming back? Do you believe that he'll break the, break the clouds? We'll be with him forever and ever? Do you believe that those who have fallen asleep before you, we will see once, once again in fellowship in the new heavens and the new earth? My father lies on, on his deathbed right now with an incurable heart, breathing heavy, Trying to tell him, let go, man. You're going to go to heaven. We're going we're gonna to be here. 
left on this earth. He's lived 91, 91 years. When he passes, he will see his Lord and Savior face to face. What a glorious day. Amen? We can't wait for that day. In the New Testament times, they used to say Maranatha, which means come Lord Jesus. Amen? Are you ready for Jesus to come? Until he comes, we're passionate about giving the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. But if he comes, man, we are excited and ready to be with him forever. To see him in all of his splendor and majesty, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let's not mess around. Let's make this commitment to Christ and our faith in God real and powerful and strong and real. I believe in the redemption and salvation of God. I believe in the promises of God. I believe God is going to move in our community and in western New York and in America. I believe God is going to save our children and they'll rise up and they'll, they'll call upon the name of the Lord and be a powerful, powerful force in this world in their generation. I believe that Jesus Christ is coming back. He could come back today. Are you ready? Are you ready? Is there something tying you here? Something that is a grip on your heart that you don't want to go. I want to go. I want to go. But not yet, because I got some work to do. Amen? Clep, you got some work to do. Amen? Right? We got a lot of work to do, people. Bible says, occupy. Jesus said it, until I come. In other words, keep doing the business of the kingdom until we see him face to face. He's coming. What a glorious day that will be. Every tribe, nation, and tongue will bow before Christ and call him Lord and Savior. Revelation chapter 5. Let's turn there. Let's read right from verse 1. Anybody object for reading from verse chapter 5, verse 1? If you do, leave in Jesus' name. <laughs> Okay, I'm glad there's no objections. Amen. All right, here we go. Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. Ooh, yeah. There was written, writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it? No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. One of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. Amen. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. He had seven horns, seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. He stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they... They held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. 
And they sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll, break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God. And every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God. And they will reign on the earth. Then I looked again and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and of the living beings and the elders. And they sang in a mighty chorus. Worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. They sang blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne. And to the Lamb forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Praise God. Amen. What a great Savior. What a great work of salvation. We're redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb. We're bought with a price. We're not our own. In closing, I just want you to worship the Lord as we ponder this video. Sing to this video about giving God control.